Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. It's great to have you with us for another visit to the pastor's study. Now, you're going to need to put your thinking caps on for our programs today and next week as you visit the pastor's study. We are going to help you think through the massive subject of God and government. And that's so important, especially as here in the United States, we see increasing divisions, polarization, party antagonisms, and also as we witness increasing opposition to the Christian faith in the public arena. But looking at an even bigger picture, we see before our eyes a movement toward anarchy on one side, states and individuals who disagree with the laws and then disregard the laws, people trying to prevail over others by violence or coercion, and even proposing measures or taking actions that would undermine or actually rebel against established social norms. Now, on the other side, there's the danger of tyranny, replacing government by law with government by decrees or executive orders. Essentially, in tyranny of any sort, rule by a person or by a body of people takes the place of rule under law. Despotism replaces representative democracy. An authoritarian leader shelves a national constitution. Now, how do, we, how do you fit all of that with what the Bible, the Word of God, says about government on any level? The Apostle Paul gives a summary of that in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, beginning in verse 1. And it's interesting that that Paul wrote during a time of cruel and horrible tyranny in the Roman government itself. Romans 13 again, beginning at verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. But how far does that subjection go? What if the governing authorities give commands that are contrary to the word of God? What if the governing authorities actually threaten your life or the life of others by their governing? For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Well, what if your nation experiences a hostile takeover, as did Poland, Holland, Belgium, France, and other nations under the advance of Adolf Hitler's tyranny? Fully recognizing that God permits those kinds of takeovers, Are those legitimate governments if they've stolen the lands, possessions, and reins of authority by acts of force? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Is there, in any situation, a right of people to rebel against authorities who, in essence, have replaced God with themselves? Was the American Revolution justified? Was it right to oppose and even seek to overthrow the Nazi regime, a regime that wanted to make its own power absolute? What if those in authority in our own land succeed in replacing our Constitution with something 
That's the very opposite of a constitutional republic. Is there any right of resistance? By whom and how? For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. But what if rulers on any level become terrors to what God calls good and begin actively promoting what God calls bad, things which even human nature demonstrates are evil? The ruler is God's servant to you for your good. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, says the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13. But what if the one in authority becomes a servant of what is bad? How can he still be a servant of God if he uses his power to punish those who do good and to promote, encourage, and even finance what is wrong? Well, while you may not even want to think about questions like these, you must. Our forefathers in the history of the Christian church did. They didn't always agree, but they wrestled with some heavy-duty questions about God and government. And especially with our own government and our own nation in view, we're going to do the same this week and next week on a visit to the pastor's study. I want you to think about government and about governing officials under the lordship of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Now, that's important in election years and every year. For today's program, we're going to look at the subject of God and government through the lens of a book that was written in 1644 by one of the most brilliant and godly students of Scripture and of the Christian faith in his own day. Now, the book is called Lex Rex, meaning the law in relation to the king, Lex Rex. And it was written by the Scottish pastor and theologian Samuel Rutherford. You know, you're going to learn more about the book and its author in just a couple of minutes. But for now, you need to realize that that book, Lex Rex, so infuriated the powers that be in the England of that day that it was ordered to be burned. And its author was charged with high treason, believing that the book laid the ground for rebellion. A proclamation was issued that every person in possession of a copy of Lex Rex was to deliver it up to the king's solicitor or be treated as an enemy of the government. Now, on the other hand, many have made the case that Samuel Rutherford's Lex Rex, a carefully reasoned response to 44 questions about government using arguments from the Old and New Testaments and Christian theology and historical understandings of civil government natural law, that this book, Lex Rex, was one of the most influential pieces forming the thought of a man named John Locke, whose social contract view of government is at the heart of our American political system. England condemned the book that would become a formative influence in the government of the nation that would spring from England. And one can make the case that this book, Lex Rex, helped to provide the strongest arguments for the revolution that would give birth to the nation that is now known as the United States of America. Well, we'll be looking into these things on today's visit to the pastor's study, God and Government, Part 1. I have two guests today. If we're going to understand a Scottish author and a Scottish book, well, we should have someone from Scotland who's an expert in both. Matthew Vogan, who was also my guest for our program on the piety of Samuel Rutherford, is general manager for Reformation Scotland Trust. 
And the goal of Reformation Scotland is to inform, to educate, and promote understanding of the attainments of the period in Scotland during which Lex Rex was written. And those who are part of Reformation Scotland work hard to mine the riches of the wisdom of the past to give insight for Christians and for the Christian church today. Well, Matthew's going to help us get some of that rich wisdom with his insights from Samuel Rutherford and Lex Rex. Dr. David Innes is my other guest for today's program. He serves as chair of the program in politics, philosophy, and economics at the King's College in Manhattan. He's also professor of politics at the King's College. He has many published writings on political matters. He's co-author of the book Left, Right, and Christ, Evangelical Faith and Politics that was published in 2011, and he's the author of The Voting Christian, Seeking Wisdom for the Ballot Box that was published in 2016. Be on the lookout for his new book, Christ and the Kingdom of Men. His expertise is in the integration of Christian faith and politics, and Dr. Innes will help us apply some of the lessons of Lex Rex to our own nation, to its government, and to the current political situation. We got, we've got a lot to do today on a visit to the pastor's study. Now, remember that this program invites you to visit the pastor's study by way of your phone calls or your texts. So to be on air as part of the program, just call 631-955-5400. That will put you on air with our guest Matthew Vogan and Dr. David Innes. Or, and that's again, 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions. Most of you prefer that. You can do that anytime during the week. But particularly for this program, the number for text questions for a visit to the pastor's study, 516-367-0391. You can put that under Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391. And even if we don't use your text questions today, we're going to try to get to them in a future open forum. Matthew Vogan of the of Reformation Scotland and Dr. David Innes, Professor of Political Science at the King's College in Manhattan. Thanks for being with us to help us better understand God and government through the lens of Samuel Rutherford's work, Lex Rex. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you. And welcome, Dr. Innes. Thank you very much, Bill. Matthew, um, most of our listeners won't be familiar with Samuel Rutherford, although if they listen to your previous program on the piety of Samuel Rutherford, they will be. But um, tell us a little bit about Samuel Rutherford. Sure. Well, as you said, uh, Rutherford was um, pastor and theologian. He lived between 1600 and 1661 in Scotland, and he played a key role at the Westminster Assembly, which produced the Westminster Confession and Catechisms. Well, he was a, a remarkable person, as both a clear thinker, but also a highly spiritual person. He was capable of some of the most spiritually intense devotional literature, as you can see from his many letters and sermons. But on the other hand, as an, inter, as an internationally respected scholar, he also wrote many powerfully but densely argued books, and Lex Rex is one of those. And it was so powerful that, as you said, not only did the government execute the book by having it publicly burned, they would have executed Rutherford too if he hadn't died of natural causes. Yeah. Well, when he was summoned to appear before Parliament on a, on a charge of treason, Rutherford answered in characteristic terms from his deathbed. He said, I have got summons already 
before a superior judge in court, and I must answer my first summons. Wow. And, and before your day comes, that's the day to the trial, I will be where few kings and great folks wow. come. So that was the, yeah. the author of Lex Rex. Beautiful picture of of the piety of that man. And uh, while, while we're not dealing with this today, the letters of Samuel Rutherford are something you want to get into your possession. It, it is, in my opinion, probably the finest, certainly the finest devotional uh, material for the Christian church in the last 500 years. Matthew, uh, tell us a little bit about what the political situation that Samuel Rutherford faced as he wrote Lex Rex in 1644. Okay, well, just briefly, an entirely polarized conflict had developed between the King of Britain, who was Charles I, and he was demanding a totalitarian rule. And on the other hand, you've got the parliaments of England and Scotland who were resisting this. Charles believed that kings had their power directly from God and that they couldn't be opposed or questioned. But whatever they said was right, just because they had their authority from God, they were like God on earth. And so when he was opposed, Charles responded by just treating it as a rebellion and declaring war on his parliaments in both countries. And so he had a series of brutal wars for around 10 years that um, enveloped the whole of the British Isles. And and Rutherford argues that the people as a body had had the right of defending themselves against the king using military means. And that's one of the themes that he brings out in Lex Rex. Really what he's defending was the first revolution in Europe. Um, So so that's the the general context. Why, so why did Rutherford write Lex Rex. Uh, I, I do want you to tell us some of the main points. You hit, hit one of them, but but, but wh- why did he write this? Sure. Well, one reason is because the Scots were really being compelled to um, get to to move towards um, aspects. Uh, of worship and government that Rutherford and the Scots generally believed were leading them towards Roman Catholicism. And the same was to some extent true in in, in England. And about 10 years before Rutherford's writing, there'd been a a court case challenging the king's authority just in secular matters. But the judge took the side of the king and he said, I've never heard of the idea that Lex, the law, is Rex, the law is king. Okay. (laughs) But rather, he says, I'm very familiar with the idea that Rex is Lex. The king is the law. The king is like the living embodiment of the law and whatever he says is the law. And so Rutherford's book examines this question, uh, the law and the king. He was making the case that the law is actually above the king and not the other way around. And so that's what we would call in our own day the rule of law. Rule of law, He was directly refuting a book written by a former bishop in Scotland who argued for the sacred and absolute and uncontrolled power of the king. And as we know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is one of Rutherford's main arguments. Power is like 
this, but like alcohol, rulers get a taste for it and they easily get drunk on it if they have too much. And you have to limit it as much as possible. And so he says that you have to limit it in two ways. And one is that it is limited by God's law and it's subject to that. And the government's not above the law. There's no lawful power to do evil. And the purpose of civil government is, as you read from Romans 13, to be a terror to evildoers, an encouragement to those who do right according to God's law. And lawless governments go beyond their power and authority. They're no longer the servants of God if they're commanding something contrary to the law of God. Interesting. It's also limited by the people um, because it's through the people that power is lent unto rulers, that the rulers are subject to the people. And it's only lent to them it can be recovered if they uh, come to abuse it and become tyrants by going beyond what's what's lawful. So it's, it's important to have different levels of representatives involved in government, not just one sole dictator or ruler. And, and these representatives help you to recover the power when it's abused by um, you know an overall ruler. And, and so you need these checks and balances to have accountability and limits uh, so that no one can just do what they want. It's intriguing to me, Matthew, that Samuel, I think of Samuel Rutherford as a pastor, as, as a divine. You don't, at least in our culture, think of a pastor writing what really is an absolutely profound treatise on, on what we would call political science. Was Rutherford trained in that way, or, or was this just growing out of his pastor's heart, opening up the Word of God? Yeah, um, well, he, he, he certainly taught, um, he was someone who, who taught, you know, aspects of the classics and probably would have taught, you know, the views of Aristotle on, on government, for instance. But um, if I, one of his colleagues, when he showed him the book, he said, I don't think you should publish this. Wait, wait seven years, you know, just just try and do things that are edifying for, for the people. But he he felt that this was a necessary time. Yeah. It was a critical point in these wars and, and in in the ongoing conflict with, with the king. And and yes, I think he felt that there was so much that could be brought from scripture to bear on on the subject that he felt compelled to to write. Yeah, that's fascinating because today, at least in our culture, Matthew, we think of the path of the pastor staying away from political issues. But if I'm understanding you properly, I think it was it was because of Rutherford's pastor's heart and that he wrote this. Correct? Yes, that's yeah, right. Fascinating, yeah. absolutely fascinating. Hey, we're dealing with um, uh, Samuel Rutherford's books, Lex Rex. We're, be, we're dealing with a big topic of God and government. Call in number if you'd like to be on the program, 631-955-5400, or you can text your question to Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391, along with Matthew Vogan of Reformation Scotland. We have Dr. David Innes, a professor of political science at the King's College in Manhattan. And if you've been listening carefully, you can see the contours of issues in our own country, polarization, uh, delegation of, of authority within government, uh, the not parliament versus the king. We can think of Congress and the president. We're going to touch on all of those things when we come back with Dr. Innes, Innes after this message of a visit to the pastor's study. 
that great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org, where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you with my guest, Matthew Vogan of Reformation Scotland, Dr. David Innes, Professor of Political Science at the King's College in Manhattan. Our topic, the book Lex Rex, Law in Relation to the King by Samuel Rutherford. Dr. Innes, oh, and again, you'd like to call in with your questions, 631-955-5400. Jot it down or text questions, 516-367-0391. Dr. Innes, you're a professor of political science. What are some of the things on our political landscape here in the United States that at least at least principially, principally are addressed in Lex Rex, even though it was written before our nation was formed? Yeah, Bill, I'm glad you asked. Uh, the most dramatic things that are disturbing our country that pertain to what Rutherford is saying in his book are the the violent and and uh, at times lawless responses to our current president, who is a, a provocative man, to say the least. Uh, you have people saying, not my president. Uh, you have uh, people throwing around the word fascist without even understanding what the word means. Uh, you have assassination fantasies, uh, you know, prominent people in, in, in entertainment and government, like that... that um, that comedian holding up the president's uh, severed head in effigy and uh, things of this sort. This is just not understanding the blessings of the peace of government, even government that may be uh, unjust to some extent or another, the blessings that come from uh, the gift of government from God. Yeah, uh, so, Dr. Innes, am, am I right, at least from my reading of, of the Protestant reformers, if you had, thank God, we have <laughs> don't have these only these two alternatives. But if you have either uh, 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 anarchy, no government, or tyranny, their choice would be while well, they would swallow hard tyranny rather than anarchy. Correct? Yeah, tyranny at least at least provides uh, some good. Uh, it provides stability, some stability in which you can 
you can get some things done if you keep your head down low. Of course, it's 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 far from desirable, but it's better than the the uh, sort of rampant violence and revenge killings you get in a, in an anarchic situation. Another another uh, issue that is on our plate is the centralization of government. I like what uh, uh, Matthew said just a moment ago about about different levels of government, uh, government being divided into into different if different forms to provide checks and balances. Uh, when you have uh, a centralization of government in the federal government, in the distant federal government, and state governments become mere administrators of its will, and individual responsibility, family responsibility, local responsibility gets absorbed into the federal government, uh, this is um, what Samuel Rutherford, the reformers, and, and the longer tradition before them would um, quake at, uh, at learning. This is uh, not good for us all. And it's good also for, on Tuesday, um, uh, when we go to an election, uh, whenever we go to an election, uh, in uh, a midterm or presidential election or what have you, it, it, Rutherford would say, remember what you are doing. You, God is using you as an agent for executing his will. It is God who establishes government, and he establishes it through the agency of various things, uh, conquest on the one hand, elections on the other hand. And it makes a difference, my friends, uh, whether you go in saying, what do I want? And when you go into the ballot booth saying, what does God want? What does God, what, what does government, God want in government, and why does he want it? That makes a huge difference. When, Doctor, I, I wondered, I realized the language government of, by, and for the people was in the Gettysburg Address and is not in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, although I think the concept is there. Am I stretching the point when I say, when it, in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities? Aren't the people who vote included in governing authorities? Or is that a stretch? Uh, when, when Paul wrote that, he was talking to the Roman Church who were suffering under a pagan government. And when he said the governing authorities, you have to, uh, you're a pastor, you have to understand it as Paul's pastoral advice on the basis of broad biblical principles, which everyone understood at the time. So when he's talking to these people, he says, submit to the governing authorities. He's talking about the people in power in government. He wasn't talking about uh, the people. He wasn't talking about ideal government. He was talking about that government and the benefits that come from even that government. So in our context, uh, I don't think, I think it would be misusing the text to say that we're to submit to ourselves. Uh, no, we're submit to, we have entrusted power into the hands of, 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 civil authorities, and, uh, and then having done that, you should submit to them. That doesn't mean you can't protest them, you can't um, uh, speak your mind to them, you can't uh, throw them out along with everyone else during, uh, by due process of law, but it does mean once, once they're there, um, uh, to oppose them is really saying, I don't want government at all, I just want to do what I want. Well, I, guess, I maybe didn't express it that well. Um, the governing authorities are supposed to be 
ministers of God to you for good. Mm-hmm. Since in our structure we elect those governing authorities on whatever level, therefore shouldn't it doesn't it follow that we then should be self-conscious about voting for people that we believe will be the best ministers of God to us for good. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, that is a fine point. Uh, but I, I don't... People should should ask that question. God wants my good. What government officials, what elected officials are, are going to be wisest and most capable in giving me and us, not just me, but us, uh, our good. That forces you to ask the question, what good does God want us to have? And specifically, what good does God want government to give us? There's good go- goods want, uh, sorry, there are goods that God wants for us that government cannot give. So what is it, that, what good is it that God wants government to deliver to us? And people don't ask that question. Well, that, that's, that's the basic question that I always ask, Dr. Ennis, when I'm voting, uh, is, is fully realizing there's no perfect candidates. Who do I believe is going to be the one who best serves as God's minister for good? It, is that what you're saying? That is a good basic way to approach the way we vote as Christians. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and you can see why Dr. David Innes, I want to mention again his books, Left, Right, and Christ, Evangelical Faith in Politics, which he co-authored. And he's also the author of The Voting Christian, Seeking Wisdom for the Ballot Box, and his upcoming book, Christ and the Kingdoms of Men. If you'd like more of the way Dr. Innes develops these points about the Christian and voting, consider those books, Dr. David Innes, I-N-N-E-S. We are going to take a break in just a moment here, uh, but if you'd like to call with your questions about uh, God and government, speaking with Matthew Vogan or Dr. David Innes, 631-955-5400, or text questions, 516-367-0391. But now, a brief message from those who are bringing you today's visit to the Pastor Study. A visit to the Pastor's Study is brought to you each week at this time by the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. Our local congregations are in East Haddam, Connecticut, that's Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in Hamden, Connecticut, that's Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, and then also a congregation in Queens and Fresh Meadows, Reformation Presbyterian Church. Here on Long Island, you'll find Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Franklin Square and in Syosset, that's Trinity Church, and then the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Bohemia, New York. These aren't the only faithful churches in our area, but they're ones that we can commend to you, and we would encourage you to visit them if you don't already have a local church. We also encourage you to visit our website, visitthepastorstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorstudy.org, where you'll find archives of all of the programs and what we call these magazine articles for the ear. Again, that's visitthepastorstudy.org. And I always appreciate your emails. You can email me at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. That's visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Questions you have about the program or about anything else connected with the work, I invite them. And now, back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Good 
Pastor Bill Shishko here with you again. Our guest, uh, Matthew Vogan of Reformation Scotland and Dr. David Innes, professor of political science at the King's College in Manhattan. How appropriate, because we're going to be talking more about the King, who is Christ, as we deal today with the subject of God and government opening up, at least from the lens of Samuel Rutherford's book written in the 17th century, Lex Rex. Matthew, let's let's turn this around a little bit. Um, if you had to give a brief statement of Samuel Rutherford's view of God and government, what would that be? Okay, so, so briefly, uh, we mentioned there, if you like, the horizontal level that government is by the people, for the people. But we also have to bear in mind that vertical level of God and, and the government. So ultimately, the authority that government possesses comes from God, as Romans 13 shows us, it's for his glory and only to be exercised in accordance with his law. But it's also part of God's goodness and, if you like, common grace towards mankind because it's for the well-being of the people in physical terms and moral terms and spiritual terms, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, that we may live lives that are in peace and in, in all godliness. So, I mean, what what does that mean? Governments then should acknowledge Christ as King, acknowledge that God's laws are given in the Scriptures. I mean, what does that look like on on the landscape of government, Matthew? Well, I think um, that that it that it means that they are taking uh, seriously um, you know, what, what God requires in, in his moral law and that they're using that in order to protect um, the, the property, uh, the lives, um, and the, the, the welfare of, of individuals. Um, but, sorry, go ahead. So we're not, so we're not talking about any view that would take the specific laws given to Israel and apply them to Scotland or the United States. We're talking about the implications of the Ten Commandments for the common good, correct? Yes, that's right. And and, and Rutherford would have would have taken that view as well. You know, he might say you could take some general principles of um, justice from those Old Testament laws, but that that's not, you know, yeah. we're not to sort of take that as a, as a template or a blueprint. Yeah, what's often called, as it is in the Westminster Confession, the general equity thereof, which is an interesting question. Okay, well, let me, just, let me hit the third rail on this thing with both of you, and I'll start with Matthew. Since the moral law begins with, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, and you're not to make graven images, um, and you're not to take the Lord's name in vain, but particularly the first commandment. That does that mean then that government should be a, an explicitly Christian government? Matthew, want to use <laughs> sure, yeah, making yeah, your I mean, day with your question, yeah, sure, sure. yeah, yeah. I, th- I think um, you know certainly you know Rutherford would have you know would have believed that um, that you know the the owe an allegiance to. God, and they must acknowledge that, and you can't just pick and choose between the different Ten Commandments, um, you know, that if that's God's moral law, then that needs to be um, brought out into the 
into the laws of of a land and that that's as much for people's good uh, as others and also that you know we can't leave god's honor out of this you know if, if you know if god's honor is there then um and it's expressed in the ten commandments you know that's more important than mm. you know our physical safety and, and and these other things that the the later ten commandments deal with well would that then allow for the tolerance of false religions in, in Rutherford's view, no, um, but, you know, yeah. um, I accept that's not the majority opinion. Sure, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Dr. Innes, your thoughts on that uh, as far as, uh, well, well that specific topic, if the moral law is our standard for government, then does that mean the establishment of the Christian religion? Uh, I'm not afraid to tell you, uh, Bill, though maybe I should be, uh, out in public to say uh, that the Bible says that Government, all government, is God's servant for your good. And, and, and what God understands as our good is not what John Locke and the Enlightenment thinkers restricted to being, our lives and property. Our good is also our moral good and spiritual good. So it's, it's perfectly within the, the realm of what God expects of government, um, to attend to our spiritual good, which is not to say that the government becomes the church and the government does the church's job, much less the Holy Spirit's job. But I think it is the place of the government to maintain conditions under which people can freely pursue uh, their spiritual good, conditions under which the church can do its work. And, and that is serving God and serving our good, and, and we're, we're just afraid to go there. And that is perfectly compatible with, with tolerating uh, false religion, false forms of Christianity, um, Buddhism and Judaism, and so forth. Okay. For, for, if only because it's not good for us. It brings out the worst in us um, to prevent them, uh, aside from the fact you just, you just can't prevent them. Yeah, okay. That, that, that's a very, very important distinction, and I appreciate that. I mean, I think of a, a place most of us have never heard of, Vanuatu, used to be the New Hebrides, that was evangelized by John G. Payton in the 19th century, and that, that government officially recognizes Christ as king, although they do tolerate other religions there. That's the kind of thing you're talking about. Yes. Let, let, let me, Dr. Innes, since you mentioned John, John Locke, and, and we're trying, folks, to the, the lingo that we use is put the cookies on the lower shelf. We realize this is not a, um, a graduate school class in political science, but it's important so that we understand our, our government. I, I did mention that many do believe that Rutherford's views influenced John Locke, who developed the social contract theory of government, but you disagree Explain what the social contract theory of government is, and then give us your view of, um, if there is a relationship of Rutherford and Locke, give your view of that relationship. Sure. The, uh, you know the origins story that we have in the Bible, the, gar- the creation of man by God, the Garden of Eden, the fall, man made in the image of God. What John Locke does, following Thomas Hobbes before him, uh, he gives us a state of nature story. In the beginning, there was the state of nature, and there's just all these individuals who are just individuals. And so he replaces Eden with the state of nature. He replaces uh, man made in the image of God with man 
as the property of God, his maker, and that's it. There's no fall, uh, and, and human beings in that state of nature, you see their nature. They are individuals. They are sovereign over themselves. The only moral law that God gave them is a law of, a law of nature, a law of reason, which is preserve yourself. And when you're preserved, then preserve everyone else. But preserve yourself is fundamental. So there's no, like, dying for a friend. There's no dying for your people on the cross. Right? This is Lockean individualism. Your individuality is more important than any relationality. Society, government, and even family for Locke are things we make. They're conventional. Whereas, whereas Rutherford is, is, is fundamentally different. He says people are social. God made us social. And... and, and uh, uh, Lock. This is what make Locke, makes Locke secular and individualistic. And out of that individualism, we get: I have the right to determine my own destiny. I have the right to determine my own gender, and and on and on. I, my 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 body is my property, so I so I have a right to an abortion. Four hundred years later, we can see the fruit of it. So, so they're they're very different thinkers. So they're both talking in one way or another about government as a social contract but because because people vote for develop particular governments and they're to be represented but what you're saying is they're they're um the the foundations of their view of social contract are different is that right yes uh, uh um rutherford says government is in its root from god but in its in its mode in modo from man Right? The, okay. the particular governments we make, but government itself is from God. Locke says government is by contract from us. That's oh. it. Well, the statement, I've, I've mused over this, Dr. Innes, and then I, want, I do want to ask you both, as the minutes are going by here, uh, how should Christians—well, let, let, let me ask you, Dr. Innes, when, when we read, governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed— is that true or false? Oh, I think it's true, and, and Rutherford would agree with okay. it's true, and so would Locke, but for different reasons. Okay, so, so spin that yeah. out a little bit. Uh, well, uh, the, the, uh, if you're asking me, God made us with a creation mandate. He gave us sovereignty uh, to, to take dominion over the earth. We, our first government is government over ourselves. God expects us to govern ourselves under his law, under his supreme authority. Uh, and so, what gives, Rutherford asked the question, what gives anyone the right to govern anyone else? And the answer is, well, they have consented. They have consented okay. in the fear of God. And so that's the social contract as Rutherford would understand it. Yes. Okay, now let me ask both of you, and Matthew, I'm going to start with you. How should Christians respond if government governments do things or call citizens to do things that are contrary to God's law. I'm thinking, for example, of abortion or euthanasia, or the big one in our culture, recognizing marriage between two people of the same gender. Um, Matthew, how should Christians respond in those cases? Sure. Um, I mean, the, the, the core principle is that we, we must never get into this situation of unqualified Obedience, you know, if it's our job to say perform marriages, we we can, uh, you know, as, as 
the official. We we can't perform same-sex marriages and just say, well, we're just following orders. Um, we, we, in general, we must continue to protest and to use legal and constitutional means to reverse what is wrong. We can't use violence, of course, to uh, pursue our objections. We we just use the the lawful means. And like in Scotland, we're about to come to the situation where parents who choose to smack their children in moderate and loving correction will be criminalised. Um, but, you know, their, their parents have to make a decision. You know, um, the, the state can't compel our conscience. We can only ever submit to God's word. All right. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Innes, uh, Christians responding to governments when they're not doing the good things they're supposed to be doing. Well, there's, there's, there's not doing good things and there's requiring you to sin. Uh, governments make all sorts of unjust laws, and, and that's when you're told to o- obey. That's when obeying is difficult. But when they require you to sin, uh, such as the situation Matthew was describing, that's different. Then you, with, with the Apostle Peter, you say, we must obey God rather than men, and you live with the consequences. But if we have government, in a democratic society, if we have government that is making uh, uh, morally appalling laws, it is because the people who elect them have a morally appalling understanding of the world. Uh, the problem is not, in a democracy, the problem is not so much government as the people who elect them. People in our day do not know God, or they do not know uh, what God requires of us, and, and that is the place to address this issue, is with our neighbors, with our churches, uh, which are all too often confused, and biblically illiterate. This is the problem. All right. Fasc- yeah, that fascinating. And we're going back to the vote, which is important. We'll comment on that in a moment. Okay, w- one more question for each of you, and then, Matthew, I-, I do want you to tell us a bit about Reformation Scotland and Dr. Innes, you about the King's College. And <laughs> This is a huge question for you both. If Samuel Rutherford could come back to life and see the situation in the United Kingdom today, what would he say, Matthew? I think he would say that We've simply replaced the tyranny of a monarchy that goes beyond and contrary to God's law with a democracy that that does that too. He might say perhaps that this is the reason that democracy is in crisis in many countries and there's a turn towards authoritarianism and populism. And maybe God's taking away the restraints to show us what happens when we reject his authority. I think he would say that we cannot hope to enjoy the democratic benefits and liberties of our Christian heritage, and at the same time trample that heritage under our feet. And so we're experiencing the anarchy of moral relativism and secularism because we've rejected God's law. And so today we see people championing diversity to legalise what's sinful, and then they turn around to deny liberties to the Christians who continue to maintain God's law. And so the state then comes to reward those who break God's law and punish those who uphold it which is the reverse of Romans 13. In fact, it's the perfect example of tyranny. And it's inevitable when God's law is rejected. And I think he would also challenge the timidity of the church. And, and perhaps that's in what David was saying. The, the church can be sometimes weak. And I'm talking about the church most broadly. And, and, and perhaps it's not really defending God's, God's law at all, but often it's just done in a weak way. Oh, interesting. Dr. Rennes, what would uh, Samuel Rutherford say about the situation in the United States? Yes, I think uh, I, I think uh, Matthew has spoken uh, many uh, wise words there, 
and I think he would say the same thing about the United States. I, I think he would say um, what you need here is not a reformation of government. What you need is a reformation. You need a church. There's church all over your country, and yet, as I said, they're not hungry for the Word of God. Uh, they are. They don't know the Word of God. How do you expect anything good to come from that? I, I, I see it with Christians. They, they don't know the basic scriptures. Uh, so he would say, to the law and to the testimony, I think he would say with John Knox, give, give me America or give me death. Uh, well. the, and that is, give America back to, to uh, her, her Lord. Right. Interesting. Uh, not much you can do apart from that. Well. Matthew, just in a moment, tell us a little bit more about Reformation Scotland. Give us your contact info. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, Bill, we take the rich heritage Rutherford and his contemporaries left behind and make that accessible for today. So on our website, reformationscotland.org, you'll find lots of devotional and practical spiritual material and a weekly blog post that people can sign up to receive by email. In relation to Lex Rex itself, we've got a dedicated page which gives a simple overview and explainer video in relation to the book, because it's not, of course, an easy read. So that's that, that web page is reformationscotland.org forward stroke L-E-X. Okay. And if you want to email me, it's matthew at reformationscotland.org. I commend the website to you. Fascinating resource, on not only on God and government, but, but just quality devotional material. Dr. Innes, tell us a little bit more about the King's College in Manhattan and give us its contact info. Well, the, the King's College is, is not just another uh, Christian college. It's uh, in New York City, and it has a, uh, a nationally known politics, philosophy, and economics core, a strong core in the education. So uh, the, these ruling disciplines, we call them, we, uh, students study politics, philosophy, and economics. You can also get a, a media, culture, and the arts major, a business and finance. Uh, so it's, it's quite a place and quite a privilege to teach here. The, uh, the website is uh, www.tkc, for the King's College, tkc.edu, and it's all there. And they can contact you through that website, I believe. You can, they can, oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Let me just, uh, first, uh, my thanks uh, so much to, to Matthew Vogan and Dr. David Innes for their time today on, on the program. Let, let's just take a moment for what we call counsel from the pastor's study. Um, question is, how should we then vote? And it's wrong for any pastor to tell you a specific candidate to vote for, and here's the reason. Ministers are to minister from the Word of God, what the Word of God says, and the Word of God does not say vote for Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, socialist, libertarian. just doesn't speak like that. The Bible, though, does give certain principles regarding government. We've mentioned justice, for example, and what that is, an equal treatment of people as human beings under the law, treating people, whether it's put this way in legal language or not, each person is made in the image of God. And uh, certainly that. And then there are those moral issues regarding life and regarding death, Uh, regarding stealing and regarding people having their own private property, regarding truth, uh, regarding a day of rest that people ought to have for their good. 
And as you consider how you should vote, election year, off-year election, ask yourselves as Christians, who do I believe best represents the, the, what, what I believe the Scriptures teach about these things? And we're all going to have different emphases. Uh, there, there are, at least in my own view, uh, the, the whole matter of sanctity of human life is critical. And when it comes to voting for a candidate who believes that it is permissible to take the life of the unborn or of the elderly, that for me is a defining issue. But there are other ones as well. And as you take the different candidates, you might even want to write down Oh, positively and negatively those views that you have regarding those candidates, and then vote accordingly. I used to say, and I repent of it, we vote for the lesser of two evils, and that is not good. That is not right. Government is a good, regardless of who is in authority. There may be a leader that you vehemently disagree with, but it's far better to have a government that is orderly than no government at all. Don't vote for the lesser of two evils. Vote for the person you think will most promote good, as God describes what is good. Again, my thanks to Matthew Vokin of the Scottish of Reformation Scotland. You can check out that site, Dr. David Innes of the King's College in Manhattan. And I urge you to check out the archives of past visit to the Pastor's Study programs. You can get those on sermonaudio.com, which is a tremendous resource for sermons and Bible teaching. Or you can go to our own website, visit the Pastor's Study. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. And I would commend to you the program that I mentioned earlier on the piety of Samuel Rutherford, in which Matthew Vogan was one of our guests, and that's a good complement to today's program. Appreciate your feedback, your questions. You can email me, visit pastorbill at gmail.com. I'd love to get your emails. Or you can call me if you'd like, 516-593-1507. Visit pastorbill at gmail.com or 516-593-1507. Tomorrow's the Lord's Day. Be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that's faithful to the Word of God. And remember, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.reformationmetrony.org. Again, that's www.reformationmetrony.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor. Pastor.